Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of August 2010. At the beginning of the show, I always put my pitch in first of all, the little pitch that keeps me going, but first I suggest the newcomers to look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com because you'll find hundreds of hours of talks to download and go over at your leisure. Where I try to really show you the big picture of how the world really is run and how things won't happen by chance on any large scale at all, anytime, uh, anywhere, and how the future is always planned by those in control. And I don't, I don't mean the politicians, by the way. The politicians uh, are a dime a dozen, really, for as far as the big boys are concerned. But um, they're little psychopathic types that will do their master's bidding, and they do it very well. So we're living through a transitional phase into the century of change. And as I say, I try to show you how it's been brought about, the big foundations and organizations that work to bring it about on behalf of their masters too. Because above every rich man, there's always another rich man. And you'll find this is, a, again, a pyramid scheme, you might say, that we're living within. And everything that you're given is normality. It uh, really has to be dissected, completely dissected to understand what you're living within. And even then, you might only get to the, uh, the satisfaction of understanding for yourself. It's too much often for most people who are caught up in the matrix system itself. So again, to the, the, the sites, as I say, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. Remember, too, that you're the listeners that keep me going. You can order the books, discs, and so on I have for sale. And you can order from the U.S. to Canada by using a personal check or an international postal money order from your post office. Cash is okay. And you can also use PayPal for ordering or donating. If you want to order anything with PayPal, just send the, the, the donation in a separate email with your name, address, and the order. And I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. Same across the rest of the world. You've got the addition of Western Union, which is a hefty fee, by the way, to wire. Uh, MoneyGram, which is a bit cheaper, and you can use cash or PayPal for donating or for purchasing. And that's how it's basically done. We take so much for granted because we're conditioned. Everyone's being conditioned at the right time for your own generation. Uh, in fact, it's a fine art now. Each generation of kindergarten students going in there, children, are looking to get an, an update from the previous year to prepare them for the world that's planned when they're, they hit 20, 30 years uh, down the road, literally. And Beria, the head of the KGB, or NKVD, it was at the time in the Soviet Union, talked about this in 1934. At that time, it took them five years to upgrade them every five years, but now they can do it every one year. So that's how precise the system is in which you think you live in your reality. You're, it's given to you. If you ever wondered why you know, Al Gore and all the big boys um, that were <laughs> well acquainted with the communist system since they worked for it at times, they all worked for it both actually, and um, 
he talked about that no child should be left behind and everyone must get a computer, every child. That was long ago now. And it was all to ensure that the generation would rise up and think that all these wires hanging off them and all the different gadgets they'd have with them, all the things they'd buy for school, all that was quite natural because they were the, the generation that would have to go through the big transition into digital media, uh, give up all their privacy, and be happy that uh, they were being observed all the time, or, or even they were disinterested, really is the word for it. They're not so much happy, they're just completely disinterested in anything called privacy whatsoever. I might touch on that tonight on an article I have here. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. I'm talking about technology, really, technology that was planned long, long before you ever heard the, the term personal computer or even computer. Uh, these things that we were given at the bottom, of course, even the first ones were, it's typical of what to do. They're obsolete when they give it to you. I mean, long obsolete. And it's so interesting that you don't want to scare the sheep in the fields. You don't want to scare the sheep are awfully nervous, you know. They're happy grazing away there. They'll look out and see the guy that's a shepherd. They're used to him. And But anything else will really spook them, and off they go. They get like crazy all over the place. But that's how humanity really reacts to change, changes that they don't understand. And we're, we're supposed to be guided by the shepherds into the next penfold basically the sheepfold so that's how they do it a little bit at a time uh, step by step gradually and then speed it up once it's accepted and then really do the push isn't it amazing how everything coincided uh, for the 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 century of change plus i think the century of terrorism uh, on the public um and the, the depriving of all the rights and the rampant going ahead of all land grabs and so on and uh, no more private property stuff getting thrown out from the top, eugenics having open debates now on BBC, all that kind of stuff is just rampant now. But they couldn't do it all, any of it really without preparing the minds of those coming up. They don't really care so much about the older ones. They'll die off, you see. They've done this many, many times before in other ways. But the old folk die off and concentrate on the youth. That's as old as the hills, that technique. Old as the hills. And uh, been done many, many times before. And they put so much work into this now that people don't really understand, the older people don't understand the, comp- the vast difference between uh, their own mindset and those of the, the young people. The young, as I say, have no concept of privacy. It's a kind of a, it's not even a burdensome thing. It's an irrelevant thing to them. Uh, they think of all the little goodies they get uh, on demand, uh, with the demand from those who own all the programs and all the all the equipments to go along with all their legalities. All these programs, when you look at all the legalities, when you download something, you give away everything except your firstborn. Maybe that's in there too. They don't care. They don't mind. So, and that's also training them to accept anything that comes down the pike. 
But there's a book out now. I'm not really plugging this book. It's, it's really in a newspaper. It's in the Telegraph, but, at, but really it's the 13th of August, 2010. It touches on this. I personally won't read it because I don't need to read it, and most of you probably don't need to either. But if you really want to see the gulf between you and the youth, uh, look at this book, uh, this article, and I'll put the link up on my site, cuttingfreematrix.com, at the end of the show. And it says American children are even more plugged into new technology than ours and are playing the, paying the price as electronic gadgets prove more addictive than heroin, says Howard Crowther. Uh, will this digital obsession destroy the creativity of future generations? Well, of course it will, because it's designed to. And it does a lot of weird stuff to your brain, too, and it mind all their cell phones. And we've touched on that many times with the, with the scientific results from the top, what it does to a particular area of your brain. But just happens to be the one that you put it to. It changes morality and everything. But he goes through this little talk about how he's kind of old-fashioned, and he was so shocked to see how the students go into school or university today and how they're all wired and they've got all these different things with them. And the money they spend per year now to update and upgrade, thinking it's all quite normal. And the fact, too, that they really don't mind about having no privacy. It's they give this blank stare if you... If you bring it up, that's the difference that's already happened with those who've been brought up with it. They're addicted to it. He also goes into the, the, the average time per day a, a youngster will spend on it, into their 20s as well. And it's, it's most of their day on some kind of digital media. And he goes into the, downfall, the, the downside of it as well, the warnings as well, and how it's ignored. Of course it's ignored because, you see, the people at the top are guiding them in step by step into getting brain chipped. There's no doubt about that. Here they're going around with all these wires hanging from them and extensions and all the rest of it and plugins and yada yada yada. And they'll be the first ones to grab. In fact, some of them say in this book apparently they actually wouldn't mind a brain chip and even be able to hear their music 24 hours a day inside their head. So they're all prepared for what's coming down. And this isn't the first article I've seen on this. There's been ones from other countries too where students in classes all put their hands up and they said you could have all this in your brain with a chip and they, put, and thought, they thought it was a great idea. So it's addictive too and you don't realize that those that program the programs uh, are programming you, you see, ultimately. Interesting here too, it says some of the wizards who fathered the digital revolution have misgivings. The late Joseph Weizenbaum, an MIT mathematician and computer scientist who authored one of the first con uh, conversational computer programs became a profound skeptic about technology's influence on the human condition. Wiesenbaum, who was a child in Nazi Germany, believed that obsessive reliance on technology was a moral failure in society and an invitation to fascism. Well, no kidding. Hmm? No kidding, eh? It says Weizenbaum's uh, skepticism was shared by American computer pioneer and mogul Max Palewski, who died recently at 85. He was the founder of the computer chip giant Intel, and he told in an interview in 2008, he says, I don't own a computer, I don't own a, a cell phone, I don't own any electronics, I do own a radio. Uh, given the decades to reflect on what they wrought, it's eerie that many of the scientists who created electronic cocoons sound like the scientists who worked on the atom bomb in Los Alamos. So, that's what I'm saying about adaptation. People don't realize when they're trying to fight to retain something that the masters above there have already 
uh, taking over the youth uh, through education. Uh, Lenin talks about that um, in quite great detail and others before him. You must always take over the youth and give them a new mindset so that they'd uh, be brought up with a brand new culture, completely different from their parents and so on. And don't forget, all of these characters were totalitarians who did not believe in individual rights or anything like that. So I'm not surprised it's going ahead as it was planned, and that's why Al Gore and all the rest of them really plugged this kind of thing, because of its addictive quality. The amount of psychology that goes into what they watch is incredible, uh, well, so incredibly well financed, and it's more than just to, to sell things and to advertise things. There's a lot of psychology paid by other sources, obviously, who don't care about profit and loss. But as I say, I'll put this up on the site for you to, to see. Another area I want to touch, touch on as well is this, how the system is becoming so incredibly, and it, and it is, it, it's anti-human. It's been anti-human for a long time in reality. Um, previously, politicians, especially in countries like America uh, and Canada to an extent too, would go through the format of attempting to humor the populace. Uh, whereas in Britain, where I grew up, it was exactly the same as far as I could see by, as the Soviet Union by listening to shortwave radio from Britain. I could listen to Radio Moscow and it was the exact same format, the way it was presented, the way they were trained, obviously, as the BBC. And they would bring up topics, and it was mainly dictates from above to the, those down below. There was no arguing, there was no debating. It was just the ministry of this has declared, the ministry of that has declared, and the U.S. is departments, but over the, those countries it's ministries, they call them. And that was that, very Orwellian. Uh, but I see it's getting more and more like that all over the world now, including the U.S. They don't bother so much to even bother humoring you or putting a show on, a little pantomime of, uh, you know, nice lies. But we love sweet lies, you know. And the whole thing is to con the public to go along with everything. But now, remember, two of the big think tanks at the top from the Rome uh, Club of Rome and others, they have said that this new post-democratic society must be authoritarian to make it work. And that's why they brought in the century of change under the guise of 9-11, to kick it all off worldwide. First time in history, a whole world is locked down into the same anti-terrorism treaties uh, that locked down their own people, their own publics, because one country had something blown up. Never happened before. That tells you the cooperation long before it happened, the planning long before it happened, and the integration of the different countries at their high bureaucratic levels to prepare all of that, to bring in the same anti-terrorism laws. Took years and years and years of planning. And they were doing it all probably at the beginning of the Cold War, in fact, if not before. And anti-human, as I say it is, and it's amazing in the system, too, how we pretend, and we do go through this incredible pretense of believing uh, that, uh, because we're old-fashioned in a sense, too, we haven't been completely updated like the youth, but we used to believe that life had value, and human life had value. You know, it took thousands of years to get that right, to even think that way. Thousands of years. And 
even though Christianity has been so, um, oh, it's, in, it's in a mess right now. It's been in a mess in all quarters and all sects of them for a long time, partly through infiltration, partly because they were taking people who had already been updated in a Sikh society into their uh, cloisters, but um, also because they were under attack by those outside. They were getting funded by the big boys again. Because it was time to bring it down, but it did, the one thing it did was to give respect and human dignity to human life for the first time. Something that was used down through the ages, it was a bit of a barrier at times even to kings, although they tended to lop heads off and under different guises. But they had to get rid of this uh, religion. Eventually it served them well. But now, going into the Darwinian phase, as Julian Huxley said, they'd have to get man off his pedestal of a supreme being on earth. And that's what they've done. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. Talking about how we've been dethroned from the pedestal that gave us really, gave life itself. Uh, some worth, and uh, we've been taught in this new post-democratic society to be authoritarian and simply obey, and man is not an endangered species, therefore they can pretty well do what they want with you from the top. And that's already happening to some people in some countries, as we well know. We're getting taught that torture, etc., is quite natural, and uh, you just uh, throw them into prisons forever without warrants and without arrests and and all this kind of stuff, that's going to be turned on the general population because they plan eventually a world of massive mega-city states. That came from the United Nations, by the way. It was their plan to turn the world into these mega-city states and wither away, do away with the nation-states altogether. They'd have region blocks in the meantime as we go down the hill. But this article here is pretty typical of what's coming across to do with with uh, the dehumanization of life and how it's been stepping up. This article is from Ireland, and it's from The Independent. It says, Victim reveals horror of vaccine trials, secret legacy. A clerical child abuse victim revealed the full horror yesterday of the human guinea pig drug trials carried out in church-run children's homes. This has been going on for quite a few years there. Hundreds of children are feared to have been subjected to the experimental trials while in the care of the Catholic Church. Now the victims' cases could be reopened as calls for the government to deal with the scandal intensifies. Legal action is being planned against, well, guess who? The same guys that get all the multi-billion-dollar contracts for the lethal swine flu vaccines, GlaxoSmithKline, and the Sacred Heart Order, which allowed the tests at the Bessborough Mother and Baby Home in Cork. Campaigner and abuse survivor John Barrett, who was born at the home outside Cork City, was used as a human guinea pig while in Lota Industrial School, also in Cork. We didn't have a clue what was being done to us at the time, he said. We only found out years later. He's now 40, uh, 58, and he wants to know the truth behind the children's ordeal, uh, who, who conducted the tests, and why such experiments were allowed. Hundreds of youngsters in the children's homes are believed to have been used in trials in the 60s right through the 70s to improve vaccines for tetanus, diphtheria, and whooping cough. That's the excuse given. John was used in four different experiments when he was aged 12 and 13 at the Lota home. He said all the boys my age were taken off and given tests, x-rays, and general examinations. Lists were made up of those deemed healthy 
and be given, uh, be lined up uh, in one of the dormitories and given massive injections. We didn't know what we were being given. Later, blood tests would be taken, and those whose scars from their first injections had disappeared were given a second dose. Over a couple of years, this happened about four times. I don't think they were the normal injections you'd expect. There's a major inquiry into child abuse, so there should be a similar inquiry set up alongside it into medical experiments on children. More than 25,000 youngsters spent time in Irish orphanages between 1960 and 75, the period when the controversial one in four trials are believed to have taken place. That's fairly standard. Orphans are abused like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) And the higher up you go in this power structure of psychopathy, the more abuse you'll find, because there's so many weirdos up there who have these strange inclinations for little boys. They get up in high, high positions of power in the world. And I think it's part of their, the deviation is part of their psychopathy personally. This is too many of them doing this kind of thing. There's been so many articles released as well. And these orphanages are often used too for sexual purposes as well. If you remember the shooting in Dunblane in Scotland a few years back, uh, the Hamilton, the guy who went into the school with two handguns and shot the children, um, and he shouldn't have had handguns in the first place because he was a known uh, pedophile, a homosexual pedophile, to the police. It was overturned because a, a British lord that had at one time been Hamilton's MP and became a British lord, he had okayed from the high, high levels of uh, the British government the okay for Hamilton to get his guns. Why was that? It was because Hamilton was a procurer of children. Children who who generally uh, would not speak, they prefer orphanages and stuff because uh, they often have no, there's no relatives to, to even inquire into how they're doing or what's going on. But Hamilton, uh, it led out all the way up to the British Parliament and Tony Blair's cabinet. Yep. And that investigation that was started on, on Hamilton himself, the British government put a hundred-year ban, high top security on it, from any further investigation. What does that tell you? These are the guys you vote for. doesn't matter what party either. They're all the same. So, that's what happens when you devalue life, you see. And it gets worse and worse and worse as you continue to devalue life. And then you say there's no moral... uh, um, truth, everything's morally relevant, relativity, uh, then they can, anything can be done to society. And it is being done, by the way, right now. It isn't just picking on isolated places where people are kept quiet. You're finding there's testing going on across the whole planet now. And there has been for a long time, even the aerial spraying we're getting to with the chemtrails that they will not talk about. That's, I'm sure, is going to be classified for another hundred years as to what it's actually doing to the public. But it won't be doing us no good whatsoever. You can guarantee that. But we're all getting sterilized too, of course, with injections, plus probably the spring. Who knows? That falls in with the whole plan, the last big Rockefeller meeting, where they said they must go now for massive, um, rapid depopulation. Rapid depopulation. What do you think that means? Back with more after these messages.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Now, there's a caller on the phones. Is Steve there? Yeah, Steve Black, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. I don't know if you can hear me anyway. This cost me a lot of money to call from England. But um, just hang in there, mate. And to anyone that's listening, send them a couple of bucks, all right? And, uh, that's a good idea. Please don't <laughs> listen to these. Oh, I don't know. I know from that guy, that German guy's point of view, that this sounds interesting, but. He hasn't quite got his head around what's going on, you know. Yeah. Just uh, hang in there, Alan, all right? And send the guy a couple of bucks now and then. All right, I'm going to hang up now because I don't know what the hell is going on here. Now. I can't afford the call, really. All right. Well, thanks for calling. Take care. But, yeah, uh, you know, there's no amount of people out there who come up with the great ideas. If only we did this and we'd all be a happy family. They haven't studied any history at all, even when it's being made as your armies are out slaughtering across the planet on behalf of the same elite. Um, it, it astounds me that people have this 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 incredible Pollyanna image of the world, um, almost valley girl type mentality, that uh, you just need to speak right to the right people and they'll suddenly understand. Well, the, the history of this world, uh, run by commerce and money and elitists, as a one of a horror show, a continuous ongoing horror show. And I, I could literally go on all nights about the horrors that are committed in your own lifetime and on you as well. And stuff that they did classify for another hundred years. When a hundred years is over, most folk won't be around. Including they'll have no offspring as well. They'll be dying off as planned. And, um, then they'll declassify it and no one will care. The ones that are left will be delete themselves. Now, here's an article too, as I said before, because they planned an awful long time, over a hundred years ago, they'd do away with the nation states and they'd rule the world by this way, this means. And everyone would live in the massive mega cities. The UN came out with the whole thing, mega cities, uh, how all, all nations or states left had to push the, to get people into the mega cities and off the land. This article here is from Foreign Policy magazine, uh, September-October edition, 2010. And it says here, Beyond city limits, the age of nations is over. The new urban age has begun. And then it says the 21st century will not be dominated by America, China, Brazil, or India, but by the city. In an average, in an age that appears increasingly unmanageable, cities rather than states are becoming the islands of governance, is that word again, on which the future world order will be built. Well, it already is. This new world is not and will not be one global village so much as a network of different ones. That ties in exactly What's the, came up with the think tank from, for NATO and the Department of Defense in Britain. It's in my archive section. And the projection for the next 50 years. Same for the U.S. one. It's in there as well. That's how the world is to be. They talk about the ones, the cities will go down. Uh, Jacques Attali also talks about it in his last book, uh, these big city states, which ones will go and which ones will survive in the next 50 to 100 years. 
and how only the high-tech ones will survive. The British Department of Defense also went into the fact that some of these nation, these world state uh, megacities might even war amongst each other with very incredible high-tech weaponry. Uh, it's not so incredible, it's only that we haven't been told about it, they already have it all. So we're really there, folks. All we're going through right now is the death throes of the nation states, only because we allow them to go ahead with everything they're doing. We sit back and we yell and we complain and we moan, but that's not going to stop them, is it? Because this is a a must-be operation. Must-be. When they say must-be at the top, that means nothing is going to be left to chance that could stop it from happening. And they've pretty well looked over everything that could possibly happen to stop it, believe you me. It's quite a world we live in, isn't it? Quite, quite the world. Uh, but yeah, I looked at all the different uh, scenarios of people trying to find ways just to bring peace to the planet and we'll all be just ha- one happy family. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, you look at the states of the countries where they've tried to push the happy family scenarios with massive immigration. You have quarters in all cities where everyone goes to be with their own people. And you have lots of bickering amongst them too on the fringes where they meet. They've tried this before in the Soviet Union. And people who've come out of the Soviet Union said the same thing. That um, even Solzhenitsyn said it, that the the big mistake is too. You can't force people into a, a cultureless society. If you don't have your own culture, whose culture do you have? Are you going to adopt the neighbors over there? And they're not going to adopt yours? you end up with this mishmash of no real culture at all, which, of course, is much easier to control the public down below because of nothing to hold on for. You stand up generally and fight for your culture. We're being literally psychologically um, lobotomized ourselves the, the, the further things go down the hill here. That's what's happening. This is psychological warfare as well. There's nothing happening in an area of any conflict that wasn't forced to happen, made to happen and forced to happen. But that's what we're living in today. It's the same with, um, as I said before, in the 70s I, I couldn't understand why so many people were suddenly coming in until I read the book. It was published 1937 or 38 for the 1937 meeting of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, a world meeting they held in Australia that year. And they talked about the future they were bringing in. And all the big banking boys were there, the international ones, the private. When they say private banks at the top, they mean the big private ones that governments go to. They're individually owned. They don't have bank tellers and stuff like that. But they all attended it and they said the same thing. They were bringing in a, a new kind of world. And... Um, It'd be so vastly different from anything that the general public would ever imagine. And they would keep it from the public, what they were bringing in too, till the very, very end. They wouldn't come out and just tell them. Now, all the media were there, but they all belonged to the CFR. And they promised, of course, never to disclose anything that happens in their meetings. But they did publish their, their books for members, and I've got some of them. There's nothing happening today. Nothing. That wasn't planned back then, including the massive flood of immigration into the Western world. At that time, in fact, that the, the Russian International Affairs member for India stood up, and I've got the, the book through the back, and he said that uh, 
uh, so said there's free trade and free flow of immigrants and so on. He says there's not enough coming into Britain. And he was told that they'd have to wait quite a few years until they got the public ready for it, mainly, again, through the media and radio. They didn't have the television out then. But then television came into it and pushed and pushed, and eventually in they came. But they came in in a flood. And I said, what's happening here? Apart from the fact they're also going to deculturalize the, the nation itself, it was also an attempt to um, set up the chessboard for today. Today, all you have needed was a spark, especially from Muslims too, uh, a spark to set up the so-called radicalization within your own country. You cannot bring martial law across the world unless you have set up a system within each country that used to be fairly peaceable and say, we're giving you martial law. If nothing's happening and you're all pretty much uh, the same, it wouldn't go down. It would not go down. You have to literally bring in so many immigrants uh, from all different nations and as recent as possible so they've got ties to their old countries and then you bring down martial law for everyone to accept it. So, well, I guess they have to, you know. When 9-11 happened, I, uh, an article came out from the BBC because right away MI5 had... Uh, Computer operators working out there trying to entice young Muslims into radical internet sites that they created, MI5 created. And the reporters said they're actually creating radicalization here. And of course they were. And they're doing it in the prisons as well now. The old, old trick. And I'll read about that when we come back from this break. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. This article here is from The Guardian that always plays the left wing. and I, I get fed up with left wing and right wing ones. And, uh, but this article is about uh, the radicalization of Muslims inside prison, which is an old technique but for, for different groups. It's been used down through history again. And it says up to 800 potentially violent radicals could be released from prison in the next five to ten years, says a think tank. Everything's think tanks now, these private think tanks that government calls in, you know, and pays millions of dollars to. So Britain faces a potential new wave of homegrown terrorist attacks as a result of an escalating rate of radicalization of Muslims inside the prison system, <laughs> according to a report published today. Well, that will keep it going, which is just what they want, you see. This doesn't happen by mistake either. So it's published by a leading defense and security think tank. The Royal United Services Institute says that up to 800 potentially violent radicals who have not been convicted of terrorist offences could be released from prisons in England and Wales over the next five to ten years and will pose a significant challenge to the security services to identify them. The estimate rests upon prison probation sources saying that one in ten of the 8,000 Muslim prisoners in high-security jails in England and Wales could be successfully targeted. However, the Ministry of Justice disputed the figure in a report and said last night the Prison and Probation Service does not recognise the figure of 800 violent radicals referred to in the report. Now do we agree that the the jihadist radicalisation is taking place at a a rapid rate? But what they want to do really is to, uh, as I say, they they set up the internet sites, MI5 did it right away, uh, to entice young guys in. 
uh, find out who they were and get them to do things and catch them, set them up, in other words, sting operations. And they're creating what appeared to be terrorism. Then they slam them in jails. And they keep doing this stuff over and over again. And uh, then they radicalize them, you see. Because who wants to get slammed inside a jail when you're young? You don't know what the heck you've been up to yourself. You're just learning what life's all about. You've been conned. You were set up. So this is how you keep it going on for as long as you want. And saying to the rest of the people, see, there's, there's just we've got problems in this country. We, we just can't they take off all this uh, high security alert. We need all these cameras. We need more cameras. We've got to make sure that no one gets any privacy. We can't have privacy in order to keep you safe. Oldest trick in the book, you know. Nothing new under the sun. And as we're doing this too, the big boys are going ahead with the old plan again. Uh, started over a well, hundred years ago. Uh, with, the, with the Royal Institute of International Affairs as they set up from their bankers and the bankers' sons who really started the whole thing up. Uh, and they put their sons into the top corporations. They created international corporations for them in preparation to take over the world's power supplies, resource supplies, and all the other supplies. That's how, how they formed international corporations that you know of today. This article is from Yahoo. It's a UK Dutch Britnet cable may import power service shocks. Now that they've all amalgamated the nations, you're all interdependent, and one big company is going to own all of your power. The upcoming UK Dutch electricity interconnector is expected to link Britain to European power markets, which could result in additional supply at the right or sometimes wrong times. So, with commercial operation to start next year, April the first. The one gigawatt Britnet cable can import or export power between the two countries and could smooth out demand peaks if one market has extra supply, but could also import price spikes when both markets are tight. Total control by the few. Food, power, everything, folks. Well, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God, your gods go with you. And remember, too, that what you hear on the radio the phone is different from what I hear. These callers sometimes I can't make out at all. But thanks for listening.